Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. Dismantling DNA. As we continue our journey examining the genetically modified food phenomenon, it's so important to be aware and informed about what's going on, and this requires a certain measure of work and diligence. Consumers cannot turn a blind eye any longer at the risk of our health and longevity. There is a plethora of information floating around out there about the GM biotech industry, and much of it is conflicting. There are scientific reports, statistics, documentaries, news articles, political statements, and so on. But how do we discern the differences between what is true and what is not true? Certainly there are motivations behind the statements, such as about safety or nutrition, from giant corporate biotech companies or those supporting them out of financial or political interest. But there are unfortunately also motivations behind the statements of those opposing companies like Monsanto and the GM practice as a whole. Some follow the money interest and motivation of the organic industry. Others have a political purpose in desiring to sink these companies and the officials who are tied so directly into them. And others see opportunities as professional whistleblowers, you might say, to make money on the controversy. And even others simply want to jump on a cause because they have a natural proclivity toward activism or fighting perceived conspiracy. But what about the rest of us? How do we know what the real story is? With so much confliction and no regulation and without adequate unbiased safety study in the GM biotech industry, how can we make healthy choices for ourselves and our families? Well, in order to be informed and make good decisions, we have to understand what is going on at a fundamental level, and then we can build from there. Understanding the nuts and bolts of GMO science allows us to fully appreciate the stakes involved, and they are high. Many of us are vehemently opposed to the idea of genetically modified organisms because we can recognize on a basic animalistic level that something about this whole thing just doesn't quite sit right with us. But beyond that, many of us do not really know and cannot express what exactly bothers us about it. I believe the undeniable resistance in the millions of consumers around this country and the world I believe that resistance is primal. Perhaps 
an instinctual warning, divine or natural, ringing inside of us to protect the evolutionary process that makes us uniquely human. And it is that very process the GM biotech industry is putting at such great risk in return for such great profit. On last week's show, Toxic Promise, we talked a bit about the origin of the biotech industry, how companies like Monsanto started out and how they capitalized on the development of genetic science. We also talked briefly about the history of DNA itself, putting its discovery into some kind of perspective. But now let's delve further into DNA and how biotech companies use this science to create GMO and integrate it into our food. There's only one way to do it, and that is cell invasion. But before we talk about that, let's quickly recap what we know about DNA. It's known as the blueprint of life, fitting because every living thing on the planet is derived from it. It is the information from which bugs, plants, rabbits, humans, and all the rest are made from. Genes are merely sections of a strand of DNA, instruction manuals on how to bring about some specific trait or physical expression. Now, for a gene to manifest some physical expression, it is first copied through a biological process known as replication. And this is essentially a section of DNA creating a mere copy of itself, which then ultimately goes on to manifest its traits in another organism. If you look closely at a DNA molecule, you'll see that it's made up of only a handful of building blocks. What makes one gene section different from another is the order of sequence of the blocks. So here's what biotech companies are doing. They identify these gene sequences in plants or animals that give rise to specific physical traits, and then they go about copying them and inserting them into the DNA of another organism. A couple of examples of this are using spider genes in goats so that they will then produce silk protein in their milk or cabbage that produces scorpion venom for the purpose of insecticide. Well, how do they do this? It gets back to cell invasion, invading a host cell. One way genetic scientists do this is to use bacteria and viruses as carriers of transgenes into the DNA of a target cell. Bacteria and viruses are natural predators. A virus, for example, penetrates a host cell and then sets about pasting its own DNA into the DNA of that cell. When the cell replicates, so does the virus. It is in this way the virus propagates itself rapidly throughout a host. A genetic scientist will assemble DNA from various sources and then meld this together with a bacteria or virus DNA. These then penetrate a host cell, hijacking its DNA code and integrating with it. Another commonly used method is what's called particle bombardment, or biolistics. And here, scientists use a gene gun technique where pressurized helium propels tiny bits of metal particles coated with transgenes into plant tissue. I'm not kidding. They actually blast them into the target cells. The metal particles go through leaving the foreign genes inside the host cell. After this, when the cell divides, the transgenic material is copied and propagates right along with it. This becomes part of the plant. The plant becomes part of the food, and the food becomes part of us. So what is going on here? What is this GM biotech industry all about? 
We are ingesting transgenic information, folks. Our bodies are being inundated with altered DNA. Recently, in 2011, a scientific article in the medical journal Cell Research identified that ingested genetic information through food intake can pass into the bloodstream and attach directly to organs within the body. Now, this is significant because it pertains to genetic information in general, which means that if the food source contains GM components, then this genetic information, this altered DNA, can directly affect our organ function by confusing the normal gene expressions of those organs, which can result then in cancerous tumors, infertility, allergies, and all sorts of other illnesses. We've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat, and even though it has largely been interpreted as a figurative statement, it is generally well known that on a biochemical level, the nutrients and vitamins from food replenish us and become a part of our bodies. But it was never fully understood before that we are actually consuming genetic information that becomes a part of us, physically reprogramming us. What this means is that our genetic code is being altered into something synthetic. And what's more, it cannot be reversed. The canoe is almost to the waterfall. And back paddling beyond a certain point of no return won't prevent it from going over. By consuming GM foods, we are not only changing the expression of our genetic code, we are changing who we are and what we will become. We are tampering with evolutionary process. And this is not a scare tactic or metaphor to say that through time we are evolving into toxic genetically modified organisms, something not natural and not human. But genetically modified foods are changing our DNA nonetheless. And where will that lead? What will the consequences be? That is the question. The question no one in the industry answers. And that is the fear. The fear millions and millions of consumers around the country and the globe all share. There are several studies corroborating the negative effects of GM foods. In one by the International Journal of Biological Sciences, analyzing the effects of genetically modified foods on health in mammals, researchers found that Monsanto's GM corn is linked to organ damage in rats. According to the study, three varieties of GM corn were approved for consumption by the U.S., European, and several other national food safety authorities. Here is a quote from scientists who performed the actual research for the study. Quote, Effects were mostly concentrated in kidney and liver function, the two major diet detoxification organs. In addition, some effects on heart, adrenal, spleen, and blood cells were also frequently noted. As there normally exist sex differences in liver and kidney metabolism, the highly statistically significant disturbances in the function of these organs seen between male and female rats cannot be dismissed as biologically insignificant, as has been proposed by others. We therefore conclude that our data strongly suggests that these GM maize varieties induce a state of liver kidney toxicity, these substances have never before been an integral part of the human or animal diet, and therefore their health consequences for those who consume them, especially over long time periods, are currently unknown. End quote. 
And in predictable style, Monsanto conducted its own research that was based on a limited 90-day trial period. Since no adverse effects were seen within this period, they concluded that the corn was safe for consumption, going on to state that research results to the contrary were, quote, based on faulty analytical methods and reasoning and do not call into question the safety findings for these products, end quote. Well, in a more recent study, September 2012, results to a long-term peer-reviewed GM feed trial were published by the Food and Chemical Toxicology Journal in New York. This study explored the long-term health impact for animals consuming GM corn and Monsanto's commercial herbicide Roundup. The results were alarming and echoed the findings of previous research. Again, consumption of the GM corn had extremely adverse effects for both male and female rats, sending the clear message that dangers exist in the consumption of these products. However, the more disturbing aspect to this study was in the time frame that these effects began to appear, not until four months into the trial. This should be a loud wake-up call to all of us that human GMO consumption will have a grave and negative impact on consumers and that it is a major problem that will only worsen in the coming years. If this legitimate study says anything, it is that we are naive to march forward approving the sale and consumption of GMO products with a philosophy of lack of evidence means evidence of lacking. Consider for a minute that just last year, GM corn accounted for nearly 70% of all corn products produced and sold in the U.S., GM corn is genetically altered to produce a toxin poisonous to pests. Worms or bugs ingesting the toxin die by digestive failure. GM soybeans accounted for 93% of all soy crops grown in the U.S. These are engineered to tolerate toxins that are poisonous to weeds. Because of this, they are routinely doused in toxic herbicides, the residue of which remains in the soil and in the actual harvest. Currently, GM corn and soy crops are used in many foods on the market, some including cornmeal, tortilla chips, cereals, yogurts, salad dressings, oils, and most condiments. And a multitude of processed foods also contain soy or corn byproducts like high fructose corn syrup, which are widely used as sweeteners in juices, soft drinks, and baked goods. All this is disturbing on a number of levels. The amount of our food supply that contain GM products, the lack of disclosure, and the lack of information concerning how these GM foods affect our bodies. How is it that products like BT corn or GM soy are allowed into our food supply? In the United States, three regulatory agencies preside over the GM food industry. The EPA, who evaluates GM plants for environmental safety, the USDA, who determines whether plants are safe to grow, and the FDA, which evaluates whether the plant is safe to eat. The FDA historically has been concerned with pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, and food products and additives, but not whole foods. Under current guidelines, a genetically modified ear of corn sold at a produce stand is not regulated by the FDA because it's a whole food. But a box of cornflakes is regulated because it is a food product. The FDA's stance is that GM foods are substantially equivalent to unmodified natural foods and therefore not subject to regulation. What? So, so what is it? Substantial equivalence? That, that is actually a regulatory term used internationally to determine whether genetically engineered products are justified to be marketed. The logic is that 
there already exists a natural variation in plants as to gene expression and other parameters. So, for example, if we investigate the differences in gene expression between two genetically identical plants grown in slightly different environments, like at different temperatures, we will likely find some having different physical expressions. Even two identical plants in the same environment will show some differences. So, in order to call something substantially equivalent, a comparative assessment must be made. This is basically a test that compares a genetically engineered plant to some natural variety that is genetically similar. A comparative assessment can include things like gene expression, metabolic profiles, feeding studies, and more. If there are minimal differences found between a GM plant and a similar natural plant as compared across a broad spectrum of tests, then the genetically engineered variety can be called substantially equivalent to the genetically similar natural variety. If differences are found, then they must be determined to fall within the natural variation found among different varieties of the same species. If so, then the GM plant receives a stamp of approval claiming substantial equivalence and is therefore deemed safe for human consumption. At first glance, the term substantial equivalence implies that two foods are equivalent in all ways that are important to the consumer, nutrition, texture, flavor, and safety. However, in actual practice, the lab compares only selected characteristics of a genetically engineered food to those of its non-genetically engineered counterpart. If this relatively small set of characteristics is not found to be significantly different between the two, the GM food is classified as substantially equivalent to the corresponding non-GM food and is not required to be tested further or labeled as genetically engineered. How can policies like this be taken seriously? How can consumers even begin to feel safe? The GM biotech industry is out of control. It is out of control, folks. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, we'll go through as many as we can. And this evening, we'll start with Rosanna. Rosanna Jacobs, who I recognize from my Facebook page, writes in to say, Hi, Anna. I'm so glad you're doing this show. It's very informative. I am totally against GMOs in food and am convinced by everything I've been learning. They are the root of a lot of illnesses, but I have to be honest. I don't want to eat it and I don't want to feed it to my kids, but I've given up trying to avoid GMOs. The more I learn about it, the more I've realized it's in pretty much everything. I've made the effort and tried to buy certain organic alternatives, but they just don't taste right. Now I'm starting to think that maybe we're addicted to the taste of GMO food more than we realize, and it's too hard to try and give up flavors and what I'm used to. Even if I did, I'd never get my kids to. So what are people supposed to do? Buying organic is expensive, and it's been my experience they don't taste anywhere as good. Well, hi, Rosanna. Thank you so much for bringing this up. It's really important for consumers to step forward and to not feel afraid of being called a hypocrite or something of the sort. You're absolutely right. And it's, it's commendable that you have educated yourself enough to become informed and to know you want to avoid genetically modified foods. It's also commendable that you can be honest and say, yeah, even in the fact of everything I've learned about the dangers of these foods, I'm still buying them. Organic options are steep in price, and hey, I just don't think they taste all that great. You have every right to say that, Rosanna, so thank you for your honesty in that. What you've said here highlights two 
very important issues in the GM movement. I've talked about this before. Organic has somehow inexplicably and unbelievably become a luxury item. And while more and more companies are creating organic products to keep up with the pulse of what consumers want, in comparison to the 75% market saturation of GMO-containing products, organic options are still quite limited. And because of that, the companies who do provide them can charge consumers more. You know, business is business. Now, it does cost more in manufacturing to produce many organic foods because it costs more to obtain organic ingredients for these products. But still, even organic companies are looking for profit, and they know as a limited luxury, uh, if you will, item, uh, you know, sort of area in the food industry, consumers are looking for it, and they're willing to pay more. The second thing I think this highlights is what I call consumer sacrifice. I don't know that organic products taste any better or worse than GMO-containing products. That's a subjective area, but it's fair to say that many consumers do tend to feel there is a different taste. Some of that is likely psychological and something we see outside of the GMO issue, such as with name brand versus generic. We do become accustomed to certain tastes, and we also identify certain brands with growing up and what we've eaten all of our lives. Most of us buy the same ketchup, mayonnaise, cereal, peanut butter, whatever it is. So while trying to eat all organic, or at least all non-GMO, which keep in mind are two very different things, yes, it's true that there are less options on the shelves to choose from, so consumers do find themselves in the position of making sacrifices. And that's not right. It should not be a luxury or a rarity or a novelty to find non-GMO foods. But in all fairness, as consumers are making their choices, it's also important that we are identifying and understanding those sacrifices in an accurate way. You know, we have an emotional and psychological relationship with food and often name brands. It's a subconscious connection. And that can be interfering with what we're calling sacrifice, uh, which could be preventing us from cutting that umbilical cord and redefining our relationship with food. So with education, we become more informed and therefore more focused on underlying health. You know, health is the trump card. But at the end of the day, we all have to make whatever choices we make individually. And and that includes the sacrifices or the perceived sacrifices to what we're giving up by letting go of the products we've loved, uh, giving up versus what we're gaining versus our health. Uh, It's tough, Rosanna, and this is part of the fight, the fight for product labeling and also for non-GMO options, which doesn't always mean organic. Uh, Consumers want and deserve and should have the right to grocery shop not in a GMO minefield, but on a more level playing field. Thanks so much for writing into the show and hanging there. And Eric Daly writes in and says, I'm loving your show. This GMO business has changed everything. Saying food industry doesn't seem to fit anymore. Sounds more like what used to be the food industry is now the chemical industry. Food is supposed to keep us nourished, healthy, and alive. That's its purpose. With the advent of packaged and processed foods, food became a commodity. But with where things are today, it seems more like food has gone from commodity to some kind of weapon of mass control. I know it's all true, but it's hard to believe the wool they're pulling over our eyes. The more informed I get, the more I feel like Neo in the Matrix. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, but you sure wish you could. 
Well, hi, Eric. I hear you. Great points and frightening ones at that. Sometimes it is easier to bury our head in the sand and pretend we don't see, but this is far too important uh, to close our eyes. We have to look at it. We have to face it head on, no matter how disturbing it is. Uh, you know, we, we want and even need to believe that the protective agencies in place to keep us safe uh, are looking out for us, but they aren't. We want and even need to believe that adequate safety studies are happening uh, before these products get to market where we buy and then consume them, but they aren't. GMOs in our food is a, is a critical issue, and, and we just cannot ignore it as much as, uh, as much as we may like to. I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and, and thanks for writing in. And Deb, uh, I hope I get this name right, uh, Pauline or, or Polen, uh, your show has made me realize how important this issue really is. I'm a mother of two and will not stand to have my children subjected to products made so that the big seed companies like Monsanto can get rich. Uh, my daughters are two and four, and I won't let them become the second generation raised on GMO. My family and I will be making big changes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Deb. Uh, you and your lovely daughters are uh, why I'm so passionate about this show. So uh, truly, thank you so much for taking it to heart, and, and I wish you good health. And uh, and just thank you for taking the time to, to write in with that. And Janice Baldwin writes into the show to say, I had no idea. Companies like Monsanto should not be allowed to get away with this, and our politicians shouldn't be allowed to work for them. You can't work for the people and Monsanto at the same time. If the FDA and USDA are in Monsanto's pockets, who's going to hold this company accountable for what they're doing and for ignoring what they know about all the dangers, and who's going to protect us? It's sickening to realize what's going on. I feel helpless, and it seems like we're all doomed to have no control over what we eat. Hi, Janice. I understand what you're saying, and believe me, millions around the country are asking the very same questions. I, I fear the idea of consumers relinquishing our control. It may seem like we don't have any, but in theory, we do. The problem is the masses are not organized, and, and still not enough of us understand the gravity of GM foods and the serious consequences involved with consuming them. Uh, if the protective agencies like the FDA and USDA put in place to protect us are going uh, to put the interests of GM and biotech companies before consumer health, then they fail at their jobs to keep us safe. So that means we as consumers must protect ourselves and reach out to others around us and try to protect our neighbors as well. This is, uh, this is about an enormous amount of education, getting it out there. Uh, and, and getting it out there in such a way that it's not hysterical or a conspiracy theory. This is really happening. And the same goes for holding these companies accountable. We're going to have to do that as consumers. And it's going to take millions of us together. And the only way to do it is to stop consuming their products. We have to do better at exercising the control we have as consumers the control that the political machine and these GM biotech companies want to brainwash us into believing we don't have. If profits begin to drain, that is when they will be accountable and that is when they will change because consumers will have given them no choice. So it's really important that while we point the finger at Monsanto, Syngenta, politicians and food manufacturing companies, 
we have responsibility as well. And if we do not rise in this incredibly important moment in terms of human health and evolutionary process, then we must be willing to accept a role in the consequences that will inevitably come. Uh, You know, the moment we say, Janice, that consumers have no control is the moment we surrender our power and our consumer rights. What consumers say matters, and it matters a lot. This is America, and we can't forget that. Thanks so much for writing into the show. And we have time for just one more. Uh, Dave Pausch, or or Pauk, sorry, uh, writes in to say, Hey, Anna, your show is great. I'm really put off by these Monsanto patents overseed, which is basically the same as patenting existence. If they're already patenting plants and animals, it's not a big stretch of the imagination to realize human beings are next, and it probably won't be very far off before that happens. There's a higher power to life, whether you believe in God or some other kind of deity or power. And to violate that and change it is sacrilege and puts us in the position of playing God. Is that what Monsanto is after? They want to be God? Well, hi, Dave. You bring up a far less talked about ramification or perhaps consideration about the entire issue of genetically modified food and really genetic engineering in general, for that matter. Um, This is something I'm going to be talking about in future shows. Uh, You know, what are the ethical and even spiritual questions that arise with these types of practices? And what does it say about our human arrogance and uh, use of technology to engage in them while so blatantly ignoring the inherent risks? I think I think that's a really important thing for us to, to, to sort of examine. Thanks for writing into the show. Well, and with that, I've run out of time in the segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I will feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, February 12th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Monsanto Down the Rabbit Hole. We'll talk more about why and how chemical companies like Monsanto are exercising such inexplicable amounts of freedom and power over our world food supply. Their tentacles reach disturbingly into business and political interests unbeknownst to most consumers. The deeper you look into the twists, turns, and connections, the further you fall into a rabbit hole of mounting questions and alarming concerns. I hope you'll join me for more in next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. <laughs>